Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we investigate the horror behind an unspeakable crime, only to discover that the cause is something unpredictable. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. I am one of your hosts, Kayla King. I am joined by my husband, David King. It was the monkey! And our good friend, Sade. Cheers. <laughs> now, keep in mind, that is an inaccurate statement. Uh, the killer was an ape, not a monkey. Okay, get that right. Bad David. <laughs> way, to, way to give the spoilers ahead of hey, time. Hey, yeah. what, when was this when was this written? <laughs> when was this written? Uh 1841. Boom. People have had people have had nearly 200 years to get to get on our level. <laughs> get on our level, scrubs. <laughs> so uh we're discussing uh the murders, uh or no, not the murders. <laughs> It I, should be murders. Oh, no, no, it is murders. It is murders. It's plural. It is plural. The Murders in the Room Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, Who? That, yeah, it's just some nobody that no one's ever heard of. Is this, another, is this another, like, um, electric boner situation where we're just reading some story <laughs> by, like, no, I'm sorry. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, no, this episode, um, we'll be discussing uh, the story, but also um, we're going to go in a little in depth with Edgar Allan Poe as well, because uh, after reading this, I completely forgot this is more of a detective story than it is a horror. I mean, there's some horrific parts that I want to talk about. But... I, mean, I think the horrific part is just the mutilation that happens to the victims and it's really just a detective story yeah <laughs> which is fine it's nice if we i don't i don't mind if we like say deviate away from horror now and again yeah i would still say it's it's horrific in its own right um and then but edgar Allan poe is basically a godfather of horror or he has a position of power in in horror i don't know what like he's a duke or something what would you i would say he's he's the king of american gothic to a degree mm. yeah i can i can i can think of that he was you I know he's writing good. essentially gothic fiction but from you know he's an american writing gothic fiction which is something you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can see that um so shall we give a summary first of what we just read so Murders in the Rue Morgue is an interesting story in that it begins with a deep and long discussion about why it's important to think analytically or how an analytical mind can figure things out. It really kind of sets the mood uh, for our narrator who says, enjoy that long-winded explanation, but let me explain why I gave you all that. Because I have this friend, and his name's Dupont. Uh, Dupont is, and he are meet in Paris, our, our narrator who is never named. And uh, they become good friends. Uh, and during their time together, uh, Dupont illustrates a keen uh, observational skills and analytical mind, which he demonstrates to his friend just before they happen to read in a very long newspaper article that a, uh, two uh, wealthy women, uh, a mother and a daughter, were murdered in a very ghastly and inexplicable fashion on the fourth floor of their house in the Rue Morgue. The body of the daughter was found, uh, you know, strangled to death and with the body partially uh, stuck up a chimney. The other one found in a courtyard so mutilated that the head fell off when they picked the body up. There's no, no one can figure out how the murderer got in or out, but Dupont, with his keen, uh, his keen analytical skills, is on the case. He goes in to look at everything and puts together just by observation. The murderer did get in through a window that people didn't notice. And secondly, the murderer was an orangutan. 
Now that seems pretty far-fetched, but then when he puts the pieces together and brings in the supposed owner of the orangutan, who he manages to get caught, uh, in touch with, gets a confession out of him that the murderer was just a very angry, angry escaped orangutan brought in from Borneo by a sailor. Who just really <laughs> wanted to learn how to be a barber. <laughs> uh well you know sweeney todd was his inspiration you know <laughs> but then again sweeney todd was over in london and this is in paris so he didn't have the best tutors here you know oh yeah that's we got dupont going oh we oui, oui, i'm just a frenchman no i i okay if any french listeners are listening i'm so sorry but yeah that's basically it dupont figures it out because he's really good at noticing things and puts together the incredibly far-fetched solution that it is a freaking orangutan that commits the murders. Uh, now, Alan admitted, because uh, we decided to ask Alan, okay, we're going to read an Edgar Allan Poe story because um, Edgar Allan Poe stories are in the public domain. And since we're in the middle of a pandemic, not everybody uh, can get to a library or a bookstore. Let's make it accessible to everybody. We asked Alan, what's your favorite um, Edgar Allan Poe story or poem? And he said, the murders in Rue Morgue. And I can understand why. I can absolutely understand why it has an orangutan as a murderer. So <laughs> um, but before we get into that, let's talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Who is Edgar Allan Poe? Uh, well, he was born on January 19th in 1809 in Boston uh, to actors. Both of his parents passed away before his third birthday. Uh, buckle up. His life is very depressing. Like, oh, really depressing, if, if you don't know Poe's story already. Uh, he was taken in by a wealthy tobacco merchant named John Allen and his wife, Frances, in Richmond, Virginia. His brothers and, or Poe's brothers and sisters went on to live with other families, which, weird, but okay. Cool, let's separate all the siblings. Mm -hmm. You get a sibling, you get a sibling, you get a sibling. Uh, Allen wanted to raise Poe to be a businessman and... Poe was like, no, I want to be a poet like my uh, hero, Lord Byron. <laughs> yes, Lord Byron was his hero. I was always more of a Coleridge person, but okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, so uh, Poe attended the University of Virginia in 1826. However, Alan, being the jerk he is, sorry, I, um, uh, when I refer to Alan, I'm referring to his... Uh, father, John Allen. His adopted father. His adopted father, John Allen, said, here's a third of what you need for school. Good luck. So Poe struggled to like pay off uh, any debt that he had for, for schooling. And he would actually gamble to actually try to make up the money. And this is where his gambling addiction started to come into play. Um, due to the fact that he was in such poverty during this time, he had to drop out of school and he went back to, uh, Richmond and sadly discovered that his sweetheart, Elmira, was now engaged to another man. <laughs> it just gets worse. Jeez. Um. Write what you know, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is all before he turns 18. By the time he's 18, he does publish his first book, uh, Tamerlane, and decides to enlist in the United States Army because he wants to go on adventures. That was actually one of his goals. Uh, two years later, he entered the United States Military Academy at West Point. Fun fact, some people claim that his ghost haunts West Point, but then again, a lot of people claim Poe's ghost haunts it. But I've heard stories say that they've seen Poe at West Point, so... 
Which is interesting because he wasn't there that long. Like within the same year that he started, he was um, discharged. Okay, so there I went to like a bunch of different sources, and they one said he was kicked out, another said he was discharged honorably, another said that they had to force him out. And it seems like the main reason is because he lied about his age and his name. And it had something also to do with um, his Alan being a jerk. I thought uh, when he first enrolled was not so much for adventure, but for being for um, just the income that would come with it. But that his uh, adopted father bought him out, like paid for him to be removed. Oh, okay. And then when he enrolled again uh, for more schooling, uh, he was uh, let go because of a lack of attendance. But this is just me going off of vague details. It's been a very long time since I've like looked yeah. at anything, Bo. But yeah, I don't, I don't know the whole details. Essentially, he was there and then he got kicked out. See, the tricky part is, I like, I mean it's not really certain about that um like i've i got my information from the edgar Allan Poe's museum which says that he was kicked out and then i went to um poets.org which said he was discharged and then um there's an uh there's another poe website that says that he was discharged due to lying about his identity it's it, it, the information isn't consistent the point is He's no longer there. He was not there that long. Poe being discharged. Yes. So Poe decides to move to Baltimore um, to meet with his uh, father's family. And this is uh, the introduction to his Aunt Clem, who became like a mother to him. And also the introduction to his cousin, Virginia. Doesn't he also get mobbed by a cousin? Not well, robbed by a cousin. He does. Yes, he was robbed by a one of one of the terrible things that happens. That is one of his cousins does rob him. So wow. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. But yes, let's get to Virginia because damn. Oh boy. So his cousin Virginia, they got married, which already is like a hmm, hmm, uncomfortable. People marry their cousins all the time, but uh, back then. But hmm. so Poe was uh, twenty seven. She was 13. Mm. Ew. Apparently, they had a happy marriage. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they were in poverty for most of it. The funny part is every single one of my resources has said, this man lived in poverty. He was always poor. He never made enough money. Like, that is the theme throughout his whole life. He always lived in poverty so keep that in the back of your minds as i go through this poor poor poe yes literally <laughs> poor um but uh he brought um his aunt clem and uh and virginia to uh richmond and uh it was there that um he uh started publishing his short stories and actually gained a editorial position at the southern literary messenger in richmond oh I also forgot to mention. So at this time also, Alan dies and he leaves Poe with nothing. However, he does leave money to his illegitimate child that he never met. Wow. Alan is a dick. 
I, I, I feel bad because it's like we have our good friend Alan and it's I'm not really... I want to take that out of context Alan is a dick <laughs> you want to take that out of context sure we don't actually mean it but some people will he actually became well known through the messenger because of his reviews so he would go would just be scathing and just like go into full details and say, I hate this. And he would attack not only the author's work, but also the author themselves. And uh, this actually led to eventually a uh, opposition with a Rufus Griswold. That's a story in its own, right? Oh I, yeah. If we, I, we, I don't have enough time to get into their feuds. The, that That's just a whole other can of worms. But eventually uh, his short stories actually did bring him some acclaim. Uh, he established himself as a writer and a poet and an editor. And actually his story, The Raven, was probably his most popular story. Everybody was like, oh, have you heard The Raven? It's so great. He even moved to uh, New York for a short period. And it was there he would edit um, a number of literary journals, including the Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. Okay, so uh, the reason I'm going to say the Burton's Gentleman's Magazine is important is because this magazine eventually becomes Graham's Ladies and Gentlemen's Magazine. And that's where The Murders in the, the Room Morgue is originally published. 1847, his wife passes away from tuberculosis and he snaps. I mean, already he was dealing with alcoholism and having a gambling addiction, but he really falls into a depression and just spirals. On October 3rd, 1849, he was found in Baltimore in a state of semi-consciousness. No one knows why he went to Baltimore. He actually wasn't supposed to go there, but he did. And four days later, he died. And it is said that he died of acute congestion of the brain. There's other evidence that says otherwise. Like, other evidence that says that he may have also died from rabies. But we will get into that later on because one of our uh, questions has to do with his death. And I do find that fascinating. So until then, uh, how should we start? I guess, um, what what's your guys' relationship with Edgar Allan Poe in terms of growing up with him or his stories? Not him as a person, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Me and Poe went to the same grade school and he pushed me off the swing. <laughs> That jerk. Poe was in a bad, <laughs> perpetual bad mood back in you know the early the early eighteen hundreds. For me, uh, regrettably, I haven't read much Poe since I was in school, and we did our required reading of Poe. So I read, obviously, and the Telltale Heart, but it also has been quite a long time, and I should reread those now as an adult. But I haven't gotten around to it. No, I understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was forced to read those same stor short stories when I was in school, but I actually did like them. And um, every once in a while, I would reread The Telltale Heart for my own enjoyment. I actually, in, I think out of all of his poems, The Telltale Heart is the most fascinating to me just because it is from the point of view of someone that's like clearly insane or not in his right mind and mm -hmm. is doing something horrific and trying to basically convince the readers i assure you it's i'm not i'm not mad and i'm like yeah sure you're not you're just so uh, a sociopath but anyway uh, but i feel like it's it's more a, a really wonderful por uh, portrayal of just what paranoia and guilt can do to the mind oh, oh absolutely yeah. um in terms of other short stories like i did read um 
the fall of the house of usher which is it's fairly interesting um i really like that one yeah i i think i'm more fan of his poems though um i like him in short bursts than i do in longer bursts i think he's a better poet Uh, that's fair i think some of his short stories are better than others i mean and and they've had such a big influence uh one of the collections of books i have uh on post short stories I actually shared with this with this with Kayla earlier has an introduction written by Vincent Price. Um, and Price said that he thinks Poe's stories are, you know, great on horrific detail, but short on plot. <laughs> actually, yeah, that's the best way to describe him. And, and, and then I think it's the same case here, too, with the murders mm. in Rue Morgue. I would agree. Yeah. But then again, I don't know. I think um, like if I'm just going to cite one of my favorite post short stories um or one that really stuck with me it's the black cat i really like the black cat as a short story um just the the it's a very telltale heart kind of story very mm-hmm. similar but this one involves a cat being the giveaway instead of a heart a supernatural heartbeat which is kind of cool mm-hmm. um and plus it's a very shocking spinner hours just and i planted the axe in her brain is a line that sticks with me it's a good line um yeah, I mean, I, there's still some short stories that I've never read. I had never read The Murders in the Room more before this. Mm-hmm, me neither. I'd read The Purloined Letter, so I was familiar with uh, Dupont as a character. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, by the way. It says Dupin, but I know it's it's in the French, and I've heard like call a college professor I know pronounce it Dupont, which I think is the, the appropriate pronunciation for it, but I could. Kind of like a, it's not, you know, like um like a, Lupin the third. It's not Lupin. It's Lupin the third. It's mm-hmm. Dupont. We can. I. I mean, I don't mind calling him <laughs> Dupont. I mean, I don't know how it's pronounced. So Dupont. Is I'm. I'm gonna keep referring to him as Dupont, though. That sounds. That would be my best guess too. Yeah. So the reason, but I've read the purloined letter, which was a bit of a slog for me, because unlike the other letters, this that this one has the horrific element, but the purloined letter is purely detective fiction, and it's just Dupont showing off how smart he is and figuring all this stuff out. So I'm not, I am f- completely familiar with this character who showed up in a few of Poe's uh, mystery fiction and uh, should it be important to point out was a huge, huge inspiration to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for uh, Sherlock Holmes. I actually have a quote on it. So um, Poe is credited as inventing the modern detective story. And um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle said this, where was the detective story until Poe breathed the breath of life into it? So Arthur mm-hmm. Conan Doyle admitted that, yeah, Poe was an inspiration to him. And, and it's not even just Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes himself mentions Dupont in one of Conan Doyle's short stories. Watson brings it up to him and mentions he's, that he's very much like Dupont. And Holmes, in a great egotistical bit, basically says, what I do makes du- what Dupont does look like child's play. <laughs> or something to that effect. I'm I'm quoting this from memory or this bit from memory, but it would always crack me up to see Dupont brought up and then laid low by Sherlock Holmes. So if it, I think uh, I'm not going to lie. The first part of this is such a slog. Did you did you kind of glaze through your way through it? Admittedly, I tried to read it and I was like, oh, I think my mind started to glaze first. And then I I, I just kind of whew, over the rest of it. But once we got into the story, I was like, OK, yeah, and yeah. Like, oh. And that's how I was, too. Yeah. Like the analytical part, I'm like. Oh God, I, 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 I just forgot words and I had to go back and reread them. And I, it's still not stick. It still does not stick. For me, the story begins as soon as Dupont inserts and they're reading the newspaper. Right. 
I think what's interesting is the for the very first part was the hardest because it's just a, a, it's like an essay on analytical thinking, you know, and I understand that at the time we didn't have a character quite like this, or at least we not one in popular that was in the popular public consciousness like this. So this is Poe setting up. This is this is why this is important because I needed to be explained that some people need to think like this, and it's basically a way to introduce how Dupont as a character thinks. Because uh, clearly our narrator is a fanboy <laughs> of his best friend and bosom buddy, Dupont, who he lives with, by the way, for a, a spell in a gothic, <laughs> in a decaying gothic mansion in Paris. And they, at during the day, they keep the blinds closed and they either like play music or read poetry to each other or just have long conversations. And then at night, they go out into the city together and just walk around and keep having conversations. I These two have the best bromance and even possibly romance, in my opinion. <laughs> no, David, you... I don't need to say anything because you guys know what I'm thinking, so... I, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That crossed my mind when they went... You know, it totally crossed my mind when they... I understand that things were different. You know, it, it, you know, different. it didn't send the same signals. But the idea of them walking arm in arm through Paris together, because it's literally described that they walk arm in arm. I... At the at the le very least, I love the friendship that they have. That's a cute. That's a fun detail. Very most. Well, I know exactly what Sade is thinking, <laughs> and I accept that too. But as the reader, we are more than welcome to put our interpretation to it. That's the idea. We, as readers, we decide how we want to interpret the story, and the, ha that's how it affects us. So, yes, I would love to read them as a gay couple. This gives them more personality than just, I'm just an analytical individual. No, no. The the narrator is not really, really a character, though. He's just there to be our window to Dupont. So... I don't care. I want to make him gay. No, that's fine. But, I, I, what, what do we, but what do we know about our narrator? Nothing. Except he's He's rich. Love. Or he has enough money to, like, apparently care for both of them. And he also likes books. He likes... He's into the same things Dupont is. At least, you know, he's into reading fiction and he collecting rare tomes. He wrote a whole story about, uh, that was basically a love letter to Dupont and his ability to think <laughs> I need to like, tell you all about my friend who is amazing. Honestly, um, bravo to the to our nameless narrator. <laughs> Can we, but I think the thing that, that amuses me is it's, there's gothic elements to the story, but it's just funny that we have that random detail of they bought a decrepit goth, a decrepit old mansion that act and they're like and they live in a gothic fashion where during the day they just keep everything closed up and dark and they barely light any tapers they refer to them as tapers and then they just spend the day brooding in the shadows and then at night they go out like vampires i'm gonna sound like an idiot and i'll probably cut this out is that in the story did i miss that yeah it's in the story fuck me okay it's okay <laughs> i can't believe i missed I'm no that's so probably the part you lost that was oh no i can it was hard because it's like there's that turnaround as soon as it gets to the newspaper like my brain was like on uh, like uh, on fire there's that in between where he he's like oh you're thinking about this individual how did you know and it's a back and forth i completely glossed over to the some of those details and then again it's the slog of analytical and trying to comprehend that not doing a very good job then there's it was like, probably incredibly gripping back in the 1800s <laughs> I mean, the language is so different now. It would be the way they would describe us in a simple detail of like, oh, they they just hang out a lot together. It it, it could be easily missed if we're not used to that language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And it almost seems like all of this is just a setup. So we know we it's established who DuPont is and how he thinks before we get to the longest two newspaper articles ever written. Also, I, by the way, the descriptions of the murders are beautiful, but who, what newspaper posts <laughs> such gruesome details? Um, well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that much because, hey, the papers would want to post the most sensational news they could. So people would want to buy them and read them, right? Okay, yeah. Like in this period. So it's not that much of a stretch to me personally. True. It's 1841. So so I have Henry who researches. Henry is one of my hosts, fellow hosts on the witching known as Ophelia. Um, they do a lot of research into a variety of topics, uh, many of which take a century and further back and um, so they are often are like, check out this newspaper from fucking 18 whatever and like what they put in there. And it's like, holy fuck, they put that in the papers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. I totally buy that they wouldn't put all these crazy details of this terrible murder in the paper. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, I like this. Yeah, Dude, but uh, my question is, do you buy the length of this being in the paper? Because it gets in depth and it goes on for pages and pages. Mm, I don't know about the length. Because you also have to think about like, okay, how how much time it took uh, printing then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe the length is a little much, but maybe there they maybe there were lengthier stories because they only had so many to put in the paper. I don't know. I don't know. I know it's fiction, so I'm not going to question it too much. Yeah, not too much. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine this would be also a kind of a front page news type of story. It is a horrific murder that happened. Yeah, if it's like the day's like major headline, then I feel like they would give it more retail space than some of the other stories. Oh yeah. By the way, another another question. This is one I had opposed to you. Before you read the story or knew about the story, did you assume that when they said the Rue Morgue, that it was actually going to be the murders took place in a morgue? Um, I thought something was going to happen or end up at a morgue. Yeah, but no, it turns out the Rue, Rue Morgue is just a neighborhood area. I was a bit, huh. I, I was a bit disappointed. I thought it was going to be at a morgue as well. I thought we were going to see dead people can and... i ask you guys okay had okay you, you guys had read the story prior but when you first read i hadn't it actually first, neither of us had read it before this oh okay so it's just alan suggested it um yeah mm-hmm. did you guys know the ending was a lot of orangutan because yes. i didn't i did i didn't until i went to go find the story and then i was it it was like picture of orangutan and i was like oh He's the killer. Spoiling <laughs> <laughs> it. So I wish I had read the story without knowing that, because then I wonder how that would affect my my uh, enjoyment of the story. Because I was just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like that ruined it for me a little bit. I kind of wish I hadn't had it spoiled for me. Yeah, because the, the fun about a mystery, a detective story, is like how it, like the reveal of the culprit, Haniwa. You know. Okay, sorry. I like the Japanese ones a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then like just how all the pieces fall together, and we had a lot of that. The whole the whole part it, essentially it was after the newspaper articles. It was all just like here's how it it happened, and here's what they missed, and blah blah blah. And like that's the fun part. Yeah. But when you already know the end, it's like. Eh. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. So I'm, I'm like sorry. angry at whoever put out the story with a freaking picture of the ring the ting on the cover. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, I. They're, they're like I said, they they just seem thoroughly convinced that um everybody else like they're like this is the big selling point of this is that there's a killer orangutan and it's like but no leave that you gotta leave that like maybe some like people like us who didn't read the story in 1846. 
I know. Everyone's, we're like, spoilers. Here's some spoilers. And now we're complaining about being spoilers after we spoiled it in the beginning. Well, I, again, I'm pre- we're presuming that people who listen to this podcast are have read the story with us. So. I, actually, interesting enough, Bringer did not know reading it what it was he he um so bringer actually uh said oh i just read it i had no idea it was going to be an ape actually so the spelling for orangutan is different uh in this short story it's spelled like orang otang like it's it's orang-tang. a yeah so when he read it he's like what is this and then he's like oh it's an ape <laughs> it's an or- yeah it, it clicked for him but he he didn't know what to expect so that I I think he we probably enjoyed it more than we did. Um, <laughs> I forgot how it was spoiled for me. I want to say I, th- I want to say it was knots like when they did Nevermore or they were talking about Nevermore. Oh yeah, so knots knots uh not scary farm had a maze for several years called Forevermore that was Poe Forevermore, that's it. Yeah, it was really cool. The whole premise was that there was a serial killer going around re- killing people by recreating scenes from Poe's stories. So one of the the rooms that you did go through was inspired by uh, murders murders in the room morgue, and you actually see a body dangling out of a chimney in that part, which is pretty cool. I don't remember if you see an orangutan though. I think you might, but I don't how know. do you throw? Oh, this was one thing that bothered me. Is like, how do you throw? Because her head was down, pointing down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you throw a body up unless you like are breaking the limbs or dislocating like joints as you shove it up the chimney? What I originally thought was happening, since I knew it was an orangutan from the beginning, is like, oh, he came through the chimney somehow and was trying or to like, take the body with it. The, the, yeah, the that's what I thought too. With it, so that was my thought as well. Like that, oh, it's a small chimney, so a human can fit, but perhaps a orangutan could fit because it's a they're smaller. Are really big though. <laughs> they, they can, but they can also they also have you know a lot more dexterity in their limbs and the ability to climb mm-hmm. sheer surfaces. So like, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know how it was stuffed up a chimney. There's a lot. Okay. To be fair, there's a lot of things this. We, I think we in our modern age understand orangutans a lot better than they did in the 1800s. Oh, because yeah. There's a lot of things this orangutan does that I don't think orangutans would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like try to shave. Yes. And like viciously, viciously murder people for no other reason, for for no reason. I have to admit, the way, uh, so I knew it was going to be orangutan. I did not know how gruesome the murders were going to be described. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like the, like this, like even, they even described this, like her head was near, it seemed to be cut off. But even when she was lifted, her head completely fell off. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm loving this. <laughs> and then it's like, they look. And then they see her head dangling from the inside of a chimney. I'm like, oh, that's so good. There are even little details that are really skeevier. Like when they find the clumps of hair that have clearly been ripped from her scalp. Yeah. Like, eesh. It's just, yeah. Like the, the gruesome descriptions of these murders is just, mm, that's good shit. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how when when you do start putting the details together, it all does come together because it doesn't, like you start to wonder about some of the specifics, like why, if they were all upstairs and they heard the screaming, how did the body of the mother end up in the courtyard below? And it turns out she, the body just fell through the window. Like it was thrown through the window by the orangutan because mm-hmm. the the one thing that DuPont points is that even though it looks like it's nailed shut, the nail is actually like broken at the top. So even though you can still see the fastening, it's actually not connected. The nail is broken underneath it. 
So mm-hmm. it was like this, there's some weird specific details about windows, uh, window shutters and a lightning rod. And um, it's, it's interesting, mm-hmm. but still the, the whole thing about the orangutan, I can accept it in the fiction, but based on a lot of facts that I know, yeah, orangutan would not freak out that much or be, I don't know if necessarily strong enough to just straight up murder someone. I know they can be pretty pr- big and pretty strong, but even, and I know that it's not wise to mess with a rang- an angry orangutan, but to like kill two people that viciously, that seems like a stretch. If it was provoked, it, uh, it could do a lot of damage. Maybe. They are incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. And that is true. The orangutans are um, very strong and there has been horror stories of if you do something just like to scare an animal they will do something gruesome and gory without right. intending to again it's like the siegfried and roy situation with the tiger right right i just have a it, it's it's a little trickier for me like I, I again back then it's a lot more people would think a lot more like oh a savage beast from the distant jungles this ape this this beast this brute they they, they keep referring to the orangutan by a lot of very brutish terms you know mm-hmm. And also, you know, the 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 person who captured the orangutan, the sailor, was definitely not very kind to it because he whipped it. Oh yeah, so and of course he kept he it in a closet. It. I think kept it in a closet and whipped it because he was intending to sell it, but then it wanted to imitate him shaving. <laughs> That's why it had a razor. I'm surprised the sailor didn't die. I'm genuinely surprised. Yeah, me too. By the way, by the end of the story, the orang is the orangutan still at large. Or did it get captured? Because I, I think uh, Dupont says something like, "Oh, we have it here," but uh, we're not sure if he was actually lying about that. I think Dupont set up the meeting. Yeah, he set up the meeting, but he didn't actually have the orangutan, did he? I get a little bit lost I in the language of what happened did. there. He tells the sa- he does tell the sailor, "Yeah, we have it at this location because we can't keep it here. You can pick him up there tomorrow." So, but I don't. I, I got the implication that he might have been lying about that. I got that too. I, if you read it more closely than we did, forgive our ignorance on this on this point. It's just I'm trying to remember if if by yeah. the end of the story, if they if the if it's mentioned that the orangutan is caught or if it's still at large. I, in my defense, I read it earlier today while waiting for Brad to proof. So <laughs> fair enough. Honestly, it, it's hard to say because I feel like the main reason uh, Dupont went into this is because his friend. We don't even know why his friend was arrested for this crime. He just was. He had some sort of connection with the uh, with the ladies. Yes, the but- ladies, or maybe the money, because the police were like, "Well, the motive has to be the money that wasn't even taken." Yeah. Even the, nothing was connecting him to being there at the murders or anything. It's just the money. It's the closest thing they could get, so they like arrested him, and they could they hold. They were holding him until they could prove it. I guess. Uh, and the whole idea is oh dupont owes him a favor but you can tell dupont wants to do this like hmm this sounds like a fun mystery to solve let's do (laughs) this outsmart the cops let's go (laughs) you can so tell that this is the the um the proto sherlock holmes you know Hmm. i think i think i think dupont is you know definitely started it but i feel like uh arthur conan doyle you know pushed it forward more for sure and made you know holmes a more interesting character I don't think there's anything wrong with Dupont as a detective. I just think that there's not a lot going for him as a character. Again, great on details in some places, but short on plot. We really don't learn that much about Dupont other than that he's kind of poor 
comes from a bad family situation and uh, really, really into collecting uh, old books and reading and the arts. Uh, Poe or Holmes, on the other hand, has a lot of stuff going for him, including flaws like his, you know, he plays the violin. He's on drugs, you know, just like, <laughs> yeah, he's got a he's got an ego. Sherlock has an actual personality and um, other like other details that we can connect to. Where this is straight A. The only thing we know about Dupont mainly is he's a Frenchman and he is known for his analytical mind. And it's we're seeing his analytical mind at work. We yeah, don't, we we don't know much else about his personality, mm-hmm. other than this is how he thinks. But yeah, I don't know if there's is there much is there much more to say about this one? I mean, they they solve it, and then the story's just kind of over. Yeah. Um. I, I I didn't. I I liked it. Still, I still like the story. It's just that I'm kind of like, okay, I I definitely can see how this had an influence and. The parts that are memorable are the like just the ideas that Poe implements, especially with the murders themselves. The method mm-hmm. of the the mystery itself is 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 interesting. Seeing how it's broken down and figured out is interesting. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really feel like you can solve it along with. It's like you could pick up details and maybe form your own conclusions in a lot of detective fiction or mystery fiction that you read later. Yeah. But I feel like you know we're just kind of sitting back and letting Dupont tell us everything. It- yeah, I think this is the thing to take away from this is, is that it's the blueprint of the detective story. Right. And that's what you got to admire it for. Because definitely in more modern detective stories, part of the appeal is trying to figure out the mystery before it's revealed to you yeah. by the detective. Um, like Alan and I watched Knives Out or something oh, nice. not that long ago. And that was, that was a great fun mystery. And we're both like, oh, it's this, this, that along the way. That's that is such an appeal for detective stories, and this story did not have any of that. We are literally just having it explained to us the whole time, and there's no way for us to kind of like try and guess ahead. We can try. It's just the leaps are so yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it's the blueprint and admire it for that. And I'm glad that we got things like Sherlock and other things and like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I'm thinking of Conan. Um Detective, uh, super detective. But yeah, um, it's not my favorite. Same, it's same. But I, but I appreciate it for what it is and for what it's brought us. And it wasn't even with the whole twist revealed. It was still fun being like, okay, well, how did this happen? Now that I know what it was. So I actually, I found the line. There is one line, and it's a very quick line. It says, "It was subsequently caught by the owner himself." who obtained it for a very large sum at the Jardin de, de Plantes. So then, yeah, that's it. That's Vicious it. orangutan is just caught, and then it's out of the story. Yeah, it's one sentence. And then after that is, Le Bon was released. And then uh, Dupont goes on and saying, like, look how awesome I am. And the police don't, re- the police have to admit that I am awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dupont the third. <laughs> But yeah, I'm. I'm that's with- that's my anime <laughs> reference. I keep going to this one. I'm with both of you. It's not my favorite um, Poe story, and there's actually some more interesting ones. Like I think the system of uh, Doctor Tar and Professor Feather is a much more interesting story to me mm. too uh, than this one. 
But I do appreciate the fact that yes, this was the this was the story that began the whole oh yeah, detectives can be analytical and this leads into Sherlock Holmes, which then inspires even better detective stories. Yep. And and I do appreciate that. I I mean with this possibly also um inspired Agatha Christie, who I also think is a really good mystery writer as well. So mm-hmm. actually here's a here's a question I just I just thought of. Um do you think Poe is better known for his horror fiction than his detective fiction, but would you say the in us in in this way when you think about it his detective fiction had a greater impact on fiction than maybe even his horror did no i think they i, I think uh when i say greater impact i mean like think about all the things it bled into as a result mm-hmm. like if poe hadn't written dupont then uh maybe sir arthur conan doyle wouldn't have gotten sherlock the way he did and so many people were inspired by sherlock so like it's it's not i don't want to rule out how important it is that poe wrote this kind of mystery fiction this detective story mm-hmm. and that this is the springboard you know in that essence that is almost more important than the stuff he did for horror i don't or would you say they're both kind of equal or one is greater i would say they're they're equally important and mm-hmm. they just affected literature in different ways with the detective stories it was definitely a domino effect and like if this was as big as an inspiration to Conan Doyle as it we we believe it is, then yeah, that that was definitely a domino effect that led to this whole beautiful genre <laughs> on a separate in a separate little chain of dominoes. I think it also affected horror. Um, yes. yeah. so, let, let, I mean, this this man deserved a better <laughs> death than what he oh got. Oh my god, he uh, did. So, yeah, because <laughs> let's not forget this is also the same man who for horror went from the point of view of the madman and um Mm. or or the point of view from um the individuals who would normally be the villains and this inspired a lot more horror stories just as well like i i would say without the raven or um the telltale heart we wouldn't have uh, like stephen king novels which i know some people would be like oh god Uh, but (laughs) Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, but or we wouldn't have um i'm trying and i'm trying to go through who who would be after um who uh who would have been after edgar in terms of or oh there's i mean there's plenty well i mean i could imagine that um hp lovecraft was probably inspired by him as well oh yeah oh yeah you look at you look at lovecraft's writing and it's very it's got that same almost kind of flowery but also analytical angle to it mm-hmm. and and how much of lovecraft stuff deals with madness Oh, absolutely. Think about it. Obviously, the madness is coming from an outside source because of the eldritch part of it. You know, things man was not meant to know. But whereas Poe's madness, the madness of Poe's characters tends to come from within. You can see them being, there's usually an outside influence, tail to heart, it's the old man's eye. Um, you know, they always blame something on the outside for their madness, but you can see right through the veneer, you know? They are, I mean, in just saying, it's, it's important to acknowledge he was influential in more ways than just horror. And I think that's what Murders in the Room Morgue helps illustrate. Uh, same with like Alfred Hitchcock. Actually, I found a quote. It's um, Alfred Hitchcock once said, it's because I liked Edgar Allan Poe's story so much that I began to make suspense films. Yeah. I mean, Vincent Price even, like I said, I read this introduction by Price and Price says he, he owes Poe a lot for, you know, giving him these horrific things to play. He loved reading Poe, uh, you know, when he was younger. And then he gets to play parts in adaptations of Poe's work. And a lot of that introduction is describing what it was like to be a part of these films that have to 
translate what Poe did from the page into a visual medium because you don't have the flowery prose. You need the imagery that he would sum up in words on the screen. He would talk about how each of the film parts of film production would do that. It's a really fascinating introduction uh, by Vincent Price, actually, for this collection. So um, we have a couple of questions. I think I'll start with Bringer of Letters um, question because uh, we, we keep hinting at this and I feel like I probably should bring this up. Do you think Poe died from rabies or alcoholism? And I mean, we could open it up to not just rabies and alcoholism. There's a lot of theories. Yeah, Poe was found on the ground. He was found in a gutter. Yeah. Um, near a polling station and in like clothes that were not his and like these really shabby clothes. And I know we were talking about how Poe was in poverty for the most of his life. But after um the raven was published uh like nationwide in newspapers he was actually starting to live comfortably and when he had the money up to his death he actually dressed pretty nicely um so we know those weren't his clothes um i'm just gonna throw my theory out and then let you (laughs) all right Uh, so there was this thing called cooping back in the 19th (laughs) century and yep. that's just what I think it killed him because I don't think it was alcoholism. There might have been some alcohol involved, but I don't think it was alcoholism because we didn't mention it in his bio summary. But he actually, after the death of Virginia, um, I'm not sure how long too after, but he did get back together with his original fiance who was going to marry somebody else. I don't yes. know what happened there if that didn't work out, but he did go back to um, Elmira or whatever her name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were engaged, and he, I think he was returning from Philadelphia yes. on business mm-hmm. via train, and for some reason got off in Baltimore where he was found. Um, so he was, he had good reason to not be drinking. He was also a vocal supporter of the temperance movement. Um, so I don't think it was him that he get, went back to drinking. Um, when what cooping is is at the time there were these gangs that would just pretty much kidnap you and force you to vote for their candidates and they would put you in different outfits and um make you vote and then they'd just toss you aside once they were done with you and uh, a lot of polling stations back then were in bars and you could vote and they would make give you a drink so uh he was probably drinking because they were making him vote uh, and then there's um, stuff about how Poe's doctor had, in fact, told him that he needed to stop drinking. And this is part of the reason why he was probably so supportive of the tax movement is that if he uh, kept drinking, one, we, he it's reported that he didn't handle his alcohol too well, like one glass of wine and he was fucking drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, one of his siblings had similar reactions to alcohol. So that might have been hereditary. Um And that's partly maybe why he started drinking. But there was also, uh, I remember hearing that a doctor told him, you might have something in your brain that is, uh, it's going to kill you if you drink again too much, uh, if you keep drinking. Uh, So I think it was partly the being forced around and drinking and then being tossed out like trash once they were done with him that really killed him. Uh, That's my theory, cooping. So damn, politics, fuck politics, man. I actually, I, I've heard that theory before, but I, you, I think you explain it in a way that makes a lot of sense and refreshes my memory on that one. I actually, that's the one I ascribe to, honestly. Yeah, that's that's where I am too. I also had to like bug Henry and be like, hey, what's your theory on Poe's death? And they're like, that one thing where they make you vote, cooping. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. What and <laughs> it still doesn't quite explain why he was in Baltimore unless he was shanghai while on the train or something. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know that part. We will we'll never know all the details, unfortunately, but that is a good, good theory. Um, so mm -hmm. technically, you could say alcoholism led to his death, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. Mm -hmm. If the cooping theory is that sort of the, the press ganging, <laughs> the cooping is to be <laughs> mm -hmm. believed. I do believe, um, again, uh, as you mentioned with cooping, um, you're forced and it, it's violent and it could lead to death. And he probably in the gutter was probably passed out and this could have led to anything like he could have hit it, he hit his head due to the violence it could have been caused by the people who did the cooping or maybe he did have rabies he could have been passed out in a gutter and a dog bit him or whatever a rat. <laughs> it's it's baltimore in that it's period baltimore. it's baltimore <laughs> but i'm i've I'm, never been to baltimore i don't know for sure so, I, sorry if anybody, sorry if we're insulting anyone from Baltimore, but we've heard people from Baltimore say how shitty parts of Baltimore are. <laughs> I didn't know about the whole cooping thing. All I knew was that he was found in a gutter. I didn't realize he, um, he had different clothes. I'm glad you brought that uh, to my attention, mm. Sade. Again, the information I received was just mini biographies from um, .org sites of Edgar Allan Poe. And I think their attempt was just to say, here's a basic information, which I was just trying to do, get basic information. The fact that cooping could have been a part of that just makes it even more fascinating and just horrific. How ironic that his death is, an, is, is kind of an unsolvable mystery. Yeah. Where's Dupont when you need him? He needs to solve <laughs> the death of his creator. I don't know what the rabies theories is, but I'm going to put my, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the cooping that's where I'll put I mean, my. I, that's my. That's my favorite that's theory where I'll too. Throw my, yeah. <laughs> that's my. That's one of. That's one of mine. I remember hearing about that um, not that long ago and me being like, "Oh, that's actually really cool." Well, so see, the whole rabies thing was that medical practitioners had reopened his case and saw that Poe may have been suffering from rabies. Hmm. And again, if you're thrown into a gutter, passed out with shabby clothes shabby clothes and there's like just random wild animals out like it could be more than possible that he could have been bit like i think the rabies theory could have gone hand in hand with cooping possibly but or whatever i but the other thing is to uh um other medical practitioners and historians says well he could have died of cholera or the whole i mean he could have died of a lot of things syphilis even um mm -hmm. i know that uh there reportedly he was uh having delusions while in the hospital bed because he was like speaking to specters of whatnot um i i partly think it was it was the cooping and he had some kind of brain lesion or tumor that uh was being affected because of the alcohol and maybe that's why he was delusional uh in his deathbed um because i remember hearing a story that when they dug up his grave um, cause the poor man was like buried in an unmarked grave. And then when they like came back later to like properly give him like a memorial, they fucking put the wrong date of birth on it. And then when they dug him up, I can't remember if it was to move him to the memorial site or for whatever reason to examine his body, but like they found a calcified, something hard in his skull. And if it it could have been a uh, calcified brain tumor. Oh. Hmm. So that's a, that's why I think it was like some kind of brain lesion that was that killed him because of the alcohol he was being forced to drink during the cooping mm -hmm. that night. Um, and yeah. And if that's the case too, I mean, if cooping did happen, and if they threw him against, and if his head was hit correctly, 
like Oof, yeah that could have spurred yeah. it I, yeah like I've, I've heard um, many cases where like oh they didn't know they had a tumor or something but then they just hit their head just right and that led to death that's it mm-hmm. um the next question um is about the stories themselves uh we got one from talos thank you talos uh, what do you think Poe was trying to accomplish by writing a murder mystery in which the murder can't really be guessed by the reader and has no logical motive? It's supposed to vex you, perplex <laughs> you, engage you. Because, you know, what's how, you know, look at what we just talked about just now. Isn't a, isn't a mystery more interesting when you're still trying to figure out how it works mm -hmm. to a degree? I feel he was just like, hey, look how creative I can be. You can't guess <laughs> what I'm going to say. Um, I feel like that's, that's kind of what it was. I feel, fine. I think so too. And um, I know that like technically the first mystery ever written was one of the stories in A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, just like every other genre probably started from A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. <laughs> um, Thanks, Shahrazad. <laughs> I didn't think of mysteries before poe and i can't really think of any other than a thousand and one arabian nights i mean i think yeah i think you i think say it's right it's probably just him trying to be creative i can't think of like any mysteries before that like uh even when i'm like like thinking like oh there's that no that. no i mean there were there probably were but we're just not super into it into that part mm -hmm. of a fiction american fiction or even just fiction in general I think I, I mean yeah. there's an air of mystery to most fiction when you think about it because you're going to pick up details as you go. At least I find that stories are more compelling, not, not when they're necessarily mystery driven, but you know you kind of start to figure out what's going on as time passes. If you want to keep the reader engaged, you should always leave a couple things unknown and then have stuff get revealed as the stresses. So, but this is different because, like I said earlier, it's funny that Talos asked this question because earlier I was just like, here's a mystery that if Dupont didn't explain you every minute detail like you wouldn't get it mm -hmm. no absolutely because it's the most far-fetched it's an orangutan and there happened to be this window with a broken nail and yeah it's just yeah it feels like um the skeleton for what would be a modern day detective story mm -hmm. it, and i the one thing i know about poe poe has a love for twists let's not forget like i'm, I'm oh yeah i'm thinking of like the the system of dr uh dr tar and professor feathers Mm -hmm. or, and that's a that has a twist and then um i'm going like i'm trying to go through the black cat has a twist twist uh the um mask of the red death twist yeah he he has a, he likes but what if it's this what if this happened he try he kind of thinks a little out there at times and i think this is another story where it's like that now even follow the house of usher has kind of a twist kind of uh, it's a little bit that's i think that's one of his most gothic stories oh absolutely honest. absolutely his most gothic story our next question is fish mech which is how influential does it still feel in light of modern detective mystery stories in yeah. other words do we still think it's influential now with uh the modern detective story so for example say mentioned knives out how how and like do you think it that would be an influence for it today I mean, I think we uh, we kind of answered this already, at least I feel like I did, in that th this was the blueprint and it was definitely had a domino effect on like, you know, the, our modern um, stories in that, you know, we, this is the detective revealing piece by piece how it all happened, you know? Well, like um, in, uh, influential by proxy then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, you know, most people today, when you think of detectives, you think of Holmes, you think of Sam Spade, you think of Philip Marlowe, you think of um, Eddie Valiant. (laughs) DuPont is not a a name that you often hear when someone's like, oh, name a detective. The great detectives of fiction, you don't think of, most people will not. Because we, I mean, do you think we would have gotten more stories with DuPont if uh, if Poe had lived longer? Because he didn't really... He was in like three stories like that I know of off the top of my head because there's the Portland Letter. There's a direct sequel to Murders in the Murders at the Rue Morgue where um where um Dupont solves yet another murder mystery. Uh we might look at that one in the future just because I think it's one of the lesser known stories. Hmm. I didn't know there was a sequel, but that's cool to know. I will give you a title if that helps. That would be cool. So that yeah, the sequel is called The Mystery of Marie Roger. Oh, cool. And it says specifically in the thing, a sequel to The Murders in the Room War. So it might that might be fun to re- to visit someday. You know, to just to look at that one and compare it to um the Room War. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Um in terms of writing between uh Edgar Allan Poe versus HP Lovecraft, I prefer Poe's writing to Lovecraft. Like both of them have great ideas. But Poe is not as repetitive, at least not intentionally repetitive. Like, of course, there's going to be repetitions in some of the stories, but when he does repetitions, it's meant to make a statement or prove something or it's part of poetry. It's unlike H.P. Lovecraft, where I feel like he's doing it because he doesn't, he's just trying to make it longer. And (laughs) But yeah, honestly, fun read. Good times. Mm -hmm. Lots of dead women and angry orangutans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, uh, two dead women <laughs> and wondering your orangutan. Do we have any final words for this or? Uh, I have a few. I have All a couple. Right. Uh, first off, the um, selected episodes of The Witching Hour will now be available on YouTube gradually as I upload them. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! Also, we are going to bring back The Witching Hour for a limited time. <gasps> um, structure is going to be different. It's going to be a little more loose, a little less planning. Mostly, uh, I want to... We're in some crazy times, pandemic, protests, a lot of changes in the world. Um, and I want to at least provide people a distraction when they need to step away and cleanse, you know, something to, to you know, I feel that helps. I, I rely on a lot of podcasts right now to do that myself. So if I can contribute to that, that's something I can do. Also, with the mention of protests, um, when this episode goes out, we'll have already done, uh, well, I want to say the first of many charity streams. But uh, speaking on behalf of the rest of the Creative Horror family, um, I just want to vocally give our support to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and we want every all of our listeners to know that Creative Horror is a safe space for everyone. Mm-hmm. especially for black lives for trans lives lgbt like you're safe here with us absolutely hells yeah we we're 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 about we're about creative horror not like real life horror that's the thing we want to avoid as much as possible so we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so um we're definitely going to try and do our part for the movement however that we can and we hope that you will um show support along with us and we love you guys. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And on that note, um, we decided um, for our 
next uh, month's read. We uh, there are amazing black writers out there, and they deserve to be um, um, heard from as well. And even though we're in a pandemic, and I know we tried to do a public domain story to make it easier, I think in this case. It is worth the effort and it is worth the read. We've decided we're going to be reading The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval. You can find this book online uh, as an ebook uh, if you want to buy it. It's also um, uh, found on your local libraries. Uh, there is an app called Libby where you can actually borrow ebooks. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's been my favorite tool, especially for Darkly Lit. So I completely yeah. recommend it. Yeah, definitely been relying on Libby since I can't go, can't physically go to my library right now. Also, if you are into audiobooks, I think for this one, I'm actually going to listen to the audiobook because I was looking it up and the audiobook is read by Kevin R. Free, who is a talented and wonderful Black voice actor and he does other things too. But if you are a Welcome to Night Vale fan, he voiced, oh, what was the other one's name? Kevin. It's Kevin? just Kevin. Yeah, he voiced Kevin, who I fucking adored in Welcome to Night Vale and was the only reason I kept listening for a long time. Yeah, he voices the audiobook. Uh, so I've already bought it and I'm going to start listening tonight. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that and now I'm excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just pulled it up and I saw it and I was like, Kevin, are free. Wait a goddamn minute. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, I think I'm going to have to listen to the audiobook as well in that case cuz you know, uh, you know, welcome welcome to Desert Bluffs, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he he my favorite line from all of Nightmill was um reach your full productive potential and that was literally like on sticky notes around my room forever cuz I'm a little obsessed about, about being productive, unhealthily so. But yeah, I love Kevin. <laughs> I would actually, um, I, I mean, I stopped listening to Night Vale, but I, for I those, too. for those who, who've never listened to Night Vale, but are fans of horror, I would recommend uh, listening from the beginning and, and then stopping when you feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Stopping when, when the gimmick yeah. starts to get kind of old. But, Cause at the beginning, I'm, in our opinion, it was very good and very compelling and very interesting. And then. I don't know. For me personally, we can have a whole discussion about this another time. But frankly, I, at a certain point, I think I just kind of fell off because the premise started to get kind of tired, in my opinion, or I just lost interest in the premise. But It's a fun ride mm-hmm. for as long as you can take it. And sometimes I do feel like, oh, maybe I should go back and just pick up where I left off. It's also the kind of show where I think you just jump back in wherever. Pretty much. Um, I mean, I still have my Night Vale community radio mug where I keep a bunch of my pins and right here on my desk. Plus, it, it showcases a lot of amazing queer LGBT voices of color. So I, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah. And they also do have other podcasts uh, that they that I uh, into the wire and uh, the, the truck driving. Alice, Alice isn't dead. Yeah, those were fun to listen to. Uh, Dream Boy. I think they did. Yes, they did Dream Boy. That one's hella gay. <laughs> hella gay, guys. Go listen to that one. I liked it. I wish there was more, but yeah, okay. Guys, it's, okay, it's, I'm it's, done. It's, I'm done. Plug's hey, done for me. Hey, hey okay. it's June. It's Pride Month. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> also, happy Pride Month, listeners. Yeah. Woo. Okay. Two, two of your uh, hosts here are um, of the part of the LGBT community. So, yeah, we, we love you guys. Try and guess which ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, about I would say half of us are no more than half, just third. Oh my goodness, yeah. 
That's yeah. anyway. Anyway, anyway. Well, on that on that positive note, do you think maybe we should blow out the candles and uh, fig- and uh, you know go find a copy of the Ballad of Black Tom? Yeah, I got mine. I'm ready. Awesome. Let's just be careful. Like, make sure all the windows are locked because we don't want any crazy orangutans to get in. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. Ha, 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 ha.